This is the best damn podcast in the land. You can be my podcast show. This is Brandon Morris. And in my bottom right, I got Coach Michael Holden. My bottom left, I got Coach Corey Shashelshik. In the upper left, we got head coach Greg Leach. These gentlemen are rocking and rolling. And they ready to dance. Something like the last dance. Fellas, welcome, welcome, welcome. Say hello to the folks. Hey, hey. Let's go. We had a little Bulls theme music to bring us in today because the last dance has got us in that mindset. So uh, right away, let's just jump into it. Deep, deep, deep dive in. Last week, we answered some questions uh, talking about high school players. uh, And then we went into the last dance. Now, we have been updated where we got to watch episode three and episode four. And it was the episode to watch. I think this this episode is really these this show is getting better and better every single time. Uh, we sent some questions to prepare the fellas, and uh, trust me, they're ready to go. So right away, no hesitations. Let's get to it, fellas. We're gonna jump in and start up. Actually, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna hit them with the. Actually, we're gonna hit them with the banger. So the bonus question we got was. Michael Jordan, he's obviously the greatest player of all times. He eliminated a certain amount of the best of the best players, but he eliminated 60 win teams. How many best of the best players did he uh, did he push out of the playoffs? Sorry, let me rephrase that question. So how many players that are considered the best of the best, like the Kobe's, the Magic's, the Birds, etc., have beaten more 60-win season teams when facing elimination, like in the playoffs, more than Michael Jordan. Gregory. All right. So this was a uh, probably a bigger homework assignment that I ever had at St. Joe's High School. <laughs> um, but it took me a lot of work, and I, I got I broke it down to uh, Kobe, Jordan, Magic, Bird, and Thomas. And so, in going through this, I was surprised um, at what I found, but I also was um, amazed at what I found about Kobe's championships. Mm. But let me start with Kobe beat one team. And, and, and what I looked at is championships or in the finals. And I looked at each round in the finals, Kobe beat one team. One team? One team. Isaiah Thomas beat one team with 60. Magic Johnson beat two teams with 60 wins. Larry Bird beat three teams with 60. 
And I, I, I think Brandon may have knew the answer, or uh, yeah, I believe you knew the answer before you asked. And Jordan beat seven with sixty wins. Um, and I know I'm going to upset some people that are listening or on this um, podcast, but I, I, I feel I have to mention it. I looked at four of Kobe's championship runs. And I don't have the exact years. Uh, for those inclined, you can go back and take a look. But they beat the Nets for one of their championships. The Nets had Kidd, mm-hmm. Kittles, mm-hmm. Kenyon Martin, Keith Van Horn. They beat the Sixers. Allen Iverson and nothing else. And, I, and I'll tell you what, looking at that, I, for him to get there, even though he lost, uh, I hope to God he won MVP that year. <laughs> uh, a, a third championship of Kobe's. And this might have been the toughest group that he ran across, but he had Jalen Rose, five years experience, Al Harrington, very similar. But then you had four guys that were at the end of their careers. Miller, Mullen, Jackson, Mark, and Rick Smiths. That was a third championship. And then he beat Orlando, where you had Dwight Howard and Rashad Lewis. So I look at that and say, not, I mean, championships are championships, but he went across the East when the East was really weak. And that's when they considered the Wild Wild West the toughest. All right, Coach, Coach, Coach CC, let's let you get in on this. So to, to pile on a little bit on my research, I went on Bleacher Report, which I always enjoy reading. And uh, so the Bulls beat the two best teams ever to not win a championship with the best records ever. Does anybody want to take a guess to what those two teams were? Portland. Nope. 62 and oh, uh, go ahead, you guys. Sorry, I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, they had the best dunker that we've seen in our lifetime in the nineties, early nineties. Seattle. Seattle and the Utah Jazz. Best two records ever by teams to not win a championship in NBA history. What was their record? Uh, it was 64, uh, 62 and something, whatever. 62 and 20 in Seattle, like 64 yeah. and 18. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then the other piece of it was um, Bleacher Report did a breakdown of every team that's ever won 60 games, which there's 60 plus teams that have done that. The Bulls had three of the top five teams of all time uh, based on that. And uh, between the 96 and 97 Bulls were teams one and two. Wow. All time. According to Bleacher Report, so was Michael Jordan playing on that team? Michael Jordan was on both teams. Okay, yes. okay, excellent. All right, um, Mike, you got anything to to pile on to that? I mean, this is some great research. Um, I think that's great research. I think it's um, eye-opening, shocking to some levels. Um, I know what people of my generation are going to say, just take everything into context. Um, playing devil's advocate, of course, we can call Mike the GOAT. Um, 
But it's interesting, I would say. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to ruffle too many feathers early on in the podcast. Go ahead. Corey. The other the, the other interesting part when I was starting to do my research was that there's three teams with 60-plus wins that have lost in the first round of the playoffs. Whoa. All three teams are in the Western Conference. So you had Utah losing to Houston, Hakeem the Dream, and those guys won the year that Jordan was out. Tough. You had Seattle out against Denver and Dikembe Mutombo. And then oh, that Dallas. was a lucky shot. Yep. And then you had Dallas losing to Golden State. So out of all the 60-win teams of all time, three of them have lost in the playoffs early, and they've all been in the Western Conference. Wow. That, and Dallas won. reversed a little bit now, right? Because today we talk about how strong the West is. However, when Jordan and the Bulls ruled the East, the East was king. The West teams had the better record, but when the Bulls walked in, we knew who was going to win. I think, Corey, that goes to style of play. Um, In style of play back then, East versus West, there was a big difference. Um, You know, they always said back in when I was younger, back in the, you know, the mid 80s, early 90s, that when, when it became playoff time, you had to play, you had to play some defense and you had to learn how to play half-court offense. And the West was more run and gun, and the, and the East was more, hey, we're, we're going to slow you down, Pat Riley. We're going to slow you down. We're going to make you play half-court. And I think the East played that for 82 games straight. The West didn't. And I think that was an adjustment that needed to be made, and, and maybe it wasn't. I'm not saying that the West wasn't as good as the East, but it was a style of play that they weren't used to, and there was an adjustment period, and maybe they didn't have enough time to adjust to it. So would you guys say that the East was more physical than the West? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had Detroit, you had the Bulls. I mean, Milwaukee at that time in the early 90s was all right, and mid-90s was good. Indiana, New York. Um, it, was, it was a rough and tumble league um, where the West was, like Coach said, very free-flowing, run up and down the floor, we're going to score a lot of points. A little bit more likened to what today's game is. Yep. Uh, where it, it's, it's, it's that, that analytics-based data. Um, but I think when you look at it, the Bulls' success speaks for itself. And the Rockets were a throwback to what the Bulls you know, in that time, they were a grind it up. We're going to get the ball inside two type of team. Yeah. Greg, you want to close us with that one? Um, no, he, I mean, Corey actually hit the points that I wanted to, that I wanted to mention. Um, it was just, it was, it was just a different game. I mean, sometimes you could take a, or people talk about fashion comes in from the West Coast and travels to the East. Um, back in that time, I think basketball and the style of play flowed from the West to the East. I mean, you see that today. I mean, the, the, the style of play that I watched in the, in the mid to late 80s, early 90s is completely different to what I'm watching today. Uh, and maybe, maybe the West was ahead of the t- of their time, maybe the West had more talent. Um, or I shouldn't say that, but more talent to play that kind of style. But ultimately, I mean, any kind of game, and, and I haven't haven't coached on the uh, NBA level, 
But I think there's a huge advantage, at least where I coach, and Corey, you could speak to this, and Brandon, um, but if you can control tempo, whether it's fast, whether it's slow, you have an advantage. And um, maybe at that point in time, the East was able to, to do that better than the West team. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All great tips. Uh, for those listeners, these guys did some extensive uh, homework and research on that because uh, imagine all the games that have been played in the NBA since the NBA existed. And you're talking about trying to find out every team that has 60 plus wins and which best of the best players eliminated the most. And basically the answer comes down to Michael Jeffrey Jordan. He eliminated more 60 win teams. Another reason why he's considered the GOAT. Uh, Let's go to uh, another bonus question. Uh, we usually throw these in at the end, but we wanted to start the show off with a bang. Uh, how many NBA final series has Isaiah Thomas played in? Uh, Corey, we're going to go with you. He's been in three final series. He was two and one. Um, Isaiah, yeah, obviously one of the bad boys, but one of the greatest point guards of that era, of that time. Um you know, had a great cast around him like every champion does. Every champion has a great team around him. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, uh, he he won three of them, that, or won two of them, and really close to the end of his career. You know, he was getting towards the end of his career when those wins came in. Um, one of the other great stats about Isaiah Thomas, he was also a national champion at Indiana with Bob Knight. Yep. Um, and was also the most outstanding player of that year as well in the finals. Tough, tough. Originally from where? He was he was a Chicago kid. Chicago kid. He was he actually I think that's where the Jordan Isaiah rivalry started. Because Michael Jordan became Chicago. But Isaiah was Chicago before Chicago was Chicago. And that and that I think was the start of that fueling of that rivalry, which I know Brandon's going to ask and Coach G is going to talk about and Coach Mike's going to talk about. But I think that was the start. I think that's the bedrock of this rivalry of who is the face of Chicago. Excellent. Uh, Coach G, you got something? Yeah. So in talking about Isaiah Thomas, um, as Coach Corey said, he was in two are three in one two the third um he was within single points seconds of winning three in a row and i'm not a big fan of detroit because i was a huge fan of the bulls yep but you know some say during a five-year stretch it could be the greatest stretch in nba history 1987 through 1991 you had Magic and Bird who ruled. And let me and, and let me just quickly go back. Before those guys were drafted, I remember listening to playoff NBA basketball on the radio because if you wanted it live, that was the only place you were going to get it. Listening to it on the radio? 
Huh? Listening to it on the radio? On the radio. Yeah. Because NBA Finals basketball, playoff basketball, was tape delayed. Oh. Tape delayed. That tells you how far this game has gone. Um, but you look at, back to uh, Isaiah Thomas and, and, and the Pistons, but two of the best players that ever played were playing, they were at their apex with Isaiah Thomas. You had Michael Jordan, the GOAT, who was ramping up to being that guy. They knocked off, the Detroit Pistons, knocked off two of the greatest dynasties in NBA basketball. Remember, the Lakers and the Celtics won eight of nine championships. Jeez. Detroit won, again, back-to-back and just missed a third. So um, that team, I think, as much as I don't like them, and and the talent, if you take a look at that group, was not crazy. It wasn't. They didn't have crazy talent there. They had a great coach in Chuck Daly. If I had to rank Chuck Daly and and Phil Jackson, they're right there. Um, but to achieve what they achieved with what they had, you got to remember that the the Pistons played a post up style. They had Adrian Dantley, and they had Mark McGuire. Adrian Dantley, a phenomenal score for the young fellas that don't know about Adrian Dantley. Hey, Mark McGuire was as Chicago as anybody. I mean, he went to DePaul. He did all. I mean, Mark McGuire could play. Mm. He was he was a phenomenal player. He got traded from the Mavericks. Yep, and they traded those two guys out in their championship years, and they won one. And they won one with Dantley as a post up guy. And acquire the the next year or vice versa as a post up guy, but you take a look at the the rest of what they had. Isaiah Thomas was he was uh, he was twenty eight twenty nine, and you had Joe Dumars, um, class guy, and then the rest of you had James Edwards, early thirties. You had Vinny Johnson, maybe one of the best six men coming off the bench. Michael but he was in his early thirties, thirty two, thirty three. Um, Bill Lambeer, same thing. Rick Mahorn, same thing. The Bruiser. Uh, what's that? The Bruiser, Rick Mahorn. Yeah. Um, John Sally. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, so I'll stop. But I don't think they really flamed out. I think they were one of the, the great teams that played mid-late 80s. And, and are very comparable to the teams that played in the 90s. And I would say they had certain pieces, as the Bulls had certain pieces, but they both had a coach that could bring all that together and win championships. Excellent breakdown. Mike, what do you got for us? I was, um, so I know you asked a question about, you're going to ask it later just in reference to Isaiah. Um, I watched that 88 finals game today. Um, when he scored 25 in the third on a bum ankle, um, and and I know channeling my inner BMO. Was he was, was he out in LA or was he in Detroit? Let me see if you really watched. He it. was he was in LA. Okay, okay. Um, but to just think to to go back like how imagine how tough he had to be in game and that in that game six on a bum ankle to score 25. 
straight in the third, and to and then to to really dominate that game as Isaiah. If you look at Isaiah, I was thinking about he's off, often overlooked for various reasons. I know I'm going into another question, but it's, it, that game made me appreciate him more so ever than watching it today. Thanks for that. Go ahead, you know, Cece. You know, you talk Bob Knight, who's one of the greatest college coaches of all time. I mean, regardless of what we think of his character and stuff like that. He says Isaiah Thomas, the greatest winner he's been around. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player he's ever been around. Isaiah Thomas, the greatest winner. And Isaiah Thomas, was he was a winner. And I think what happened was he got caught, like Coach G said, between two dynasties, three dynasties, really. You had the Lakers, the Celtics, the Bulls. When we talk about history, that's what we have, right? In, in our time, in our era. Yep. He got he was smack dab in the middle of that. And they had a better team, though, that, than what Coach, Coach even mentioned, Dennis Rodman, you know, and some of those guys. I mean, the, the Pistons had some very good players on that team. You don't win two championships out of three without really good players. But Chuck Daly, Phil Jackson, Red Auerbach, all those guys are up there together. Um, and you look at what what Isaiah did, really I think the reason why he was overshadowed was the bad boys label. I think, you know, he, he is a winner. But some of the things starting back in 85 with the Jordan freeze out at the All-Star game. So that's, the, that's the part that I wanted you guys to mention that a lot of people – probably don't even know about i mean and they, they i've seen so many people in the last couple of days harp on how nobody gives isaiah credit and mj kept him off the dream team but talk a little bit bit, bit more about that the 85 all-star game that you're talking about freeze out so the eastern conference all-stars were upset with michael jordan getting all this attention because he was a second or third year kid coming into the league and Jordan got nine shots the entire All Star game. Best player in the league, talent wise. But why? Point. Why were they? Why were they upset with him? Also, for the fact that he's getting all this. He's a rookie. He's getting all this shine. Why else were they upset? Does anybody know? I, I think it's really money. To be honest, he's making all this money with the commercials. He's doing all these big things. Specifically pertaining to the All Star game, does does anybody know why they were upset with him when it comes to that All Star game, Greg? Coach Coach Leach is uh, this is his first week on uh, po- on the podcast. <laughs> You're funny. Hey, so the All Star Game. I know one of the things that when he came out in the dunk contest is he was adorned with gold chains. Mm, okay. And um, people did not like that. And you know something that became very normal for people to do and very accepted. But at that time, it wasn't. And I'm not sure what the year was, but you gotta remember Jordan averaged 37.1 in that era of the NBA. And then you pop out and you got Nike contracts, you're wearing gold chains, you show up at the dunk contest and you're blowing people away. Hey, we're all human, right? Yep. Michael, I want to give you one stab at it before we continue. Do you know why these, why people were mad at him when it came to that All Star game? I don't know exactly, but I know I was reading like an article on NBC, 
NBC saying his agent played a part in it just with piggybacking off what Coach Leach said, the gold chains and the Nike warm-ups, which were technically banned at the time. Okay, so that's... Some of the vets were just upset. Excellent. So a lot of the veteran players in that All-Star game, when it came to the warm-ups, you know, they're out there, everybody's warming up, and MJ has on the sweatpants. And I guess they did some Nike sweatpants that he was kind of marketing for Nike at the time. And they were like, dude, you got on, you wearing the sweats? Is that, is that what we're doing? They didn't like it. So from there, uh, Isaiah goes to Magic and tells him, hey, look, you know, I'm going to guard you. You guard me. We're going to kind of let each other score. He said, but I'm also going to tell the East players, let's, let, let's not let Michael Jordan shoot the ball because he shoots enough balls during the season anyways. And it tried to compare it to because Isaiah Thomas, also his rookie year when he played an All-Star game, he only took seven shots. So MJ did find out about this. And that game, MJ ended up only taking nine shots because I guess they froze him out. So I think that's what just kept brewing into what eventually later led to the whole hate of he's not playing on the Dream Team, so on and so forth. Um, Leach, one more thing you can add before we move on. So, yeah, um... Isaiah wasn't exactly a saint when it came to all that stuff. Um, if I go further in time, and, and, and maybe as a Bulls fan, a huge Bulls fan during that time, I have some feelings towards Isaiah uh, that may or may not be valid. Mm. Okay? But... Um, Isaiah is a guy who maybe he did that and froze Jordan out and Jordan remembered it whatever the case may be but um, he has been or he was a jerk whether it's walking out without shaking hands spreading rumors about Magic Johnson and who Magic Johnson really was at a very difficult time in his life as a best friend, as somebody who was always talked about as my best friend in life is Isaiah Thomas. Um, for me, looking back at all of that, I, I say it's difficult for me to give him the benefit of the doubt to say, hey, um, he didn't have anything to do with the freeze out. Isaiah Thomas hasn't been a good guy. Excellent. And to add to that, I think his legacy too is the Larry Bird comments, right? Where he told, he said Larry Bird would be an average player if he's a black player, right? I mean, yep. Isaiah has always been a controversial person after Indiana, right? After Indiana, and he has the persona. He's he smiles. He's a you know, seems like a good, genuine dude. He's a winner. I mean, let's not get it wrong. Guys at the top level, when you're at that top level, you have to have cutthroat. And he's got cutthroat. There's no question. 
you know, even after his playing career, this guy has been in trouble. He's ran organizations into the ground. There's been women issues. There's been there's been so many things that he's done that's walked a fine line that it's hard to argue for him. Now, you can't talk anything negatively about his playing career because he was a hell of a player. When you just base it on stats, da, 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 whatever you want to base it on, one of the best point guards that's ever played. He's, he's up there, especially in that generation. But overall, when you look at him, compare him to today's point guards, you talk, you, you walk him in front of Chris Balls, you know, any of these guys, he's going to cook those guys. He, he is that good. But, and he was a winner. But he brought a lot of baggage to the table, and Chuck Daly could manage that along with all the bad boys, somehow, some way. I don't know how he did it. I have no clue. If anybody asked me what was in Chuck Daly's mind, I don't have it. But he, he was he was something else. So to play into what you guys are talking about, when you guys were talking about the West Coast offense or the Western part of the NBA, how it was a free-flowing offense and the East was a more bang offense, slow it down, I really believe it comes down to the cities that they're in. New York, you, you had that rough, tough style of basketball that they always carry. And then Detroit. When you look at Detroit, you think of Detroit as murder capital of the world. You know, the Motor City, Blue Collar. They play right into that whole bad boy thing. And I think Isaiah just got the short end of the stick because it was all about timing. And frankly, he came into the league when, like we said, the, the, the two best of the best. I don't know if you guys know this, and I might want to save this for a bonus question, but how the league was operated and kind of catered to have it West Coast, L.A. versus Boston. I don't know if you guys heard those stories, but we'll, we'll throw that for next week or, or another podcast where we talk about how the, the, the system was set up for the NBA to be a Boston versus uh, uh, L.A. But, Greg, did you have one more word? Uh, I was going to pile on Isaiah, but <laughs> um, I will pass. Okay, will pass. good, good. Mike, did you have anything else? All right. So Mike was old enough for Isaiah. That's, that's, <laughs> our, part. This, that's our part from our, Mike here. These young coaches, they haven't had the chance to grow up through this generation. Good, good. All right. So, so ultimately, Isaiah had three times to play in the finals. He won two and he lost one. My question is, why isn't his name brought up into the conversation of greatest players ever. And did him and his teammates and their style of play somewhat tarnish his legacy? Or is it a combination of not enough championships plus the bad boy style of play? Also, what message can players take from all of this? Michael, let's let you dive in right away. So being the youngest in this, and as Corey and Coach Leach have reminded me all already on the podcast, all 48 minutes that I wasn't old enough to know about the game of Isaiah. <laughs> um, I will, I, 
just taking a high level thoughts about it. I would say it's a combination of everything. If you look at it, and I'm not saying this in a bad sense, but he wasn't on the main stage dominating consistently over the point of time. Yes, Isaiah dominated when you look at stats, right? But he wasn't winning, right? That, and a lot of people were, I would say, were upset with the style of play. Like talking to Coach Leach about it, and he was an avid Bulls fan. Your star player getting beat up night in, night out, going through this team like, Listen, dude, screw you. you, you you're great. You're, yeah. you're, you're dominant. <laughs> yeah. But screw you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's what I would think. I would say just thinking it's a combination of, of everything, not enough finals appearances, um, as well as, as uh, the bad boy style of play. Yeah. But, but and Mike, so what, what type of message can players take from this? So, you got the rough style of play and you're winning, which is okay. But when it came time for you to compete in the Eastern Conference Finals and you lost four games to zero to the Chicago Bulls, who you beat the previous two years that you won a championship, and now that you get beat, you leave the court with 7.9 seconds left to go. You didn't shake hands. And you kind of bring up the fact that that's the way the league always operated. And you mentioned basically that Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics did it to you previously. What type of message does that send to the players? And does that kind of tarnish his legacy when it comes to greatest of all, of all times? I, um, I think so. To say that I say Isaiah was wrong in that scenario, because um, to me, outside looking in, he was just upset he lost. And it happens, you have to respect the fact, you know, that you lost you. Um, so just walking away is not, it's not, unless there was a specific reason behind it, then that's debatable. And you can't just, you can't always say, well, this person did it and this person. No, but right now we're focused on you and what, and what happened in this scenario. Um, but for high school players um, or any players, I would say, um, your style of play, you can be a physical, every coach knows you, you have a physical player, and that's cool. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not mean you're a dirty or bad player, but you can still be respectful. I think it comes down to how you carry yourself after that, after the style of play. Like, still still respect the game, respect your opponent, do all of those respectful things. I think that that's the bigger message beyond style of play. Okay. Uh, Corey, want to jump in on this one? You know, uh, you know, I don't know that we're not mentioning Isaiah Thomas among the greats. You know, the debate usually comes down to who's the greatest. And when we talk about the greatest, you know, you've got Michael Jordan. You've got Kobe Bryant. Today's generation, LeBron James. And I think it's generational when we look at it. The hard part for Isaiah is in that generation, he was sandwiched between three very good <laughs> players You've got Magic, Bird, and Michael. <laughs> you know, it, if you're not the greatest of your generation, it's really hard to be talked about as the greatest of all time or one of the top three, four greats. Talk about Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, those type of guys. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in that time frame, too, at the end of his career. So, to me, Isaiah is one of the greatest winners of all time. He's one of the greatest winners of all time. Antics or not, the stuff that goes the bad boys were all that 
when Isaiah laced it up, you didn't want to play against him. And, you know, those are, as a coach, you want to be hard to play against, easy to play with. And he was both, right? He was both. Yep. Both. No, No question. His teammates loved him. They would die for him. And I think the question should more be, where does he fit in the long run of what great basketball players are? He's one of the greatest winners that's ever played. He is. He really is. He, he, he willed two teams at the end of his career to two NBA championships and almost a third at a time of three of the greatest dynasties we've ever seen in NBA basketball. Excellent. Great. Okay. So I completely agree with what Corey's saying. Um, if, you, if you remember back to the documentary where they spoke about Jordan and what Jordan was doing and Mark Eaton and uh, Walt Frazier, I'm guessing now, spoke about how Jordan was not going to make a difference because he wasn't seven foot. We're talking about a guy in, in Isaiah Thomas that came before Jordan and probably not six foot, He's probably 5'10", 5'11". And he made that difference. And I think because um, Isaiah Thomas was a jerk, or in in, uh, my vernacular, an asshole during the time he played, people don't look at him like that. But the NBA at that time, is completely different than the NBA today. You didn't have free agency. You built a team through a draft. And Isaiah worked his way. He worked his way from the early to mid-80s and started pecking away, pecking away, getting experience, gaining gaining players as, as the years went on, and you eventually overtook somebody. And... I mean, anybody, a, a Detroit fan would tell you that they should probably have three in a row. Mm. And I think that he is not looked upon as one of the greatest in that era. Because people have now looked past and gone to 15, 20 years beyond where he had the magic issue, the dream team issue with Jordan. And all of those things have tarnished his reputation, but as a basketball player, that guy was one of the best to play in his era, in my opinion. Hey, I I, I strongly I strongly agree with all of you guys. I really loved Isaiah Thomas, um, that rough style of play uh, that they they played. That's kind of what I grew up on playing out at Lincoln Park. Um, I wore the number 11 because somebody told me that I played like Isaiah Thomas when I was young, always keeping the low dribble. Uh, But I think all of you guys are exactly right. When it comes down to being, you know, that face of the NBA, when you talk about the Magics, the Birds, and then Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordans, your style of play and what you do, 
and how you treat others and how you respect the game can carry your legacy far after you finish playing, but it also can cut it off. And for me, I think Isaiah's career, his relevancy to basketball ended when he walked off the court. If you if you think about it, anything that he did after, because he didn't retire right after that that season, anything that he did after he left the court was 7.9 seconds is not even relevant to what he did those 10 those 10 years went before that. And I think that's what really tarnished his legacy. You teach kids all day long from kindergarten to whenever. Make sure you shake hands after the game, whether you're in elementary, junior high, high school, middle school, college. You always talk about sportsmanship and you always and if any player doesn't shake a hand or something like that, there's always that talk that you have with those players and you talk about the respect. You talk about this. You talk about that. And that's what I want, you know, our listeners to remember. Isaiah was a great player, an amazing player. But there is one decision that you can make that really can tarnish your legacy where nobody's even talking about the game in 1988 that Michael mentioned earlier. Twisted, busted ankle, taped it back up, came back out and scored 25 in one quarter against a really good team in the 80s. So nobody even remembers those games because all the focus has been on here it is. You were dominating the league. Your team got two back-to-back championships. And Michael Jordan, who you were get beaten up on uh, to get to those championships, finally beat you, and you don't give him the respect and him and his teammates to shake hands. Urgh. And and then you and then they talk about the dream team and how he should have been on it. Dude, the way you played it, you played yourself. And that's what we want the young listeners to to hear and really take into consideration. That sportsmanship goes a long way. You win gracefully, you lose gracefully. Uh, ultimately, you got to respect the game. Be good to the game, and the game will be good to you. Well, and you look at the dream team. <laughs> when kids talk about they want to be recruited, da, da, da. it it comes down to putting the better, together the best team. And it doesn't mean if you're the best player. And you look at Michael Jordan, greatest player probably already in 85, 86, 86. He's probably the best player in the NBA already then. And Akeem Olajuwon was one of the greater players then. But they didn't have the teams around them to win at that high level. And it's so important to, to be a good citizen. Your legacy is everything. And when Isaiah Thomas looks back now, you can tell. I mean, he's he's flat out lying in a <laughs> in a documentary, um, and you see the feelings towards him uh, of how things went down. And to me, it, it says a lot about what his character is and who he is as a person. And I could never go to bat for him as somebody. <laughs> as a coach, you want players that are winners and, and are. On and off the floor. Yep. Greg, close us out. I could never, as Corey said, I could never go to bat for Isaiah for those things that he did. Um, certainly not as a Bulls fan. 
Um, <laughs> but you have to, I mean, I'm trying to objectively look at Isaiah Thomas and what that team achieved and what the NBA was truly about at that time. It was about the bad boys. It was about defense. I, I can't tell you the amount of pregame shows I watched that said, you're going to go to the hole in the playoffs and you're going to get hit. You're going to get knocked down. The NBA loved it. And so in that moment of time, in, in that moment of time, he made the wrong choice. It was the worst thing he could have done for his career, as Corey said. But in but thinking as him and talking to Lambeer, because the Lambeer was the guy who didn't have the legacy Thomas had. But he said, hey, man, we've been built. This whole thing has been built on the bad boys. And bad boys are going to walk out of here and not shake anybody's hand. <laughs> for that few seconds, got caught up in that and said, you're right. Unfortunately, he was wrong, and it's ruined his legacy. And I'm it's, it's, uh, it's sad, because Thomas was much greater than what people look at him today. True story. Michael, go ahead. <laughs> Just to, to, to bring it full circle, Coach Leach, I think you put that in an excellent excellent storyline. But just for kids, high school kids or any kids or any listeners that we may have that may not even play the game, one decision in a moment could potentially ruin, you know, all these great things that all the, the these great accomplishments that you had. One poor decision just because and I'm not saying and maybe we don't know Isaiah they could have just caught him off guard. Think about how many times somebody's like, oh, you tripping, go go tell this person whatever. You tell them all, not thinking like, hey, I was just in a moment, but that could potentially ruin your career, your lifestyle, your legacy. Um, so just one thing that I try to be mindful of is always be mindful of the effect of your actions and your words because you never know how that can play into something bigger. Excellent. Thank you for those tips, fellas. Um, so all the things that we talk about, we always want to uh, bring it back to to make sure that we're empowering players, whether they're uh, elementary, middle school, high school, college, pro players, uh, because basketball is a game that can take you to many places. Basketball is also a game that can uh, ban you from many places and <laughs> we want to uh we want to keep the important things important and that's one of the lessons that you have to take from this is that the decisions you make are bigger than you uh and as simple as that um so let's get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast tonight we have two, uh, I would say, extensive questions um, that hopefully we can kind of rip through in the next 30 minutes. I know it's going to be difficult, but this is the best 90 minutes of somebody's day. And we want to keep that. We want to keep it to, to those 90 minutes. Um, so. We're going to we're going to go to commercial for right now before we dive in and, and then we'll be back shortly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. You can be more podcast. This is the second segment. Now we can get into the last dance. 
those were the bonus questions that we had in that first segment and um, it really got into the talks of Isaiah Thomas uh, and he's one of the greatest players of all time but things he did might have tarnished his legacy so let's move into the last dance talk fellas we got a very extensive question here and it can go many different ways uh, again, this is the best 90 minutes of somebody's day listening to our podcast. So let's shoot this question out to him. Has this documentary, in your opinion, showed what what Michael Jordan said or what you anticipated about the talks of what Michael Jordan said? He was in an interview and he said he's afraid that this documentary is going to show a side that people haven't seen of him. And he's gonna. He thinks that people are gonna think badly of him. Have you guys seen that yet, Michael? We're gonna go to you. And just so, for, just for clarification, want, folks, this is not Michael Jordan. This is Michael Holden. Shout out to our corporate sponsors. Um. So I was, I was one of those guys. I think I sent it to the group chat. Um. Just saying how George was saying. People are going to call him an a-hole and all of this, you know, after watching the documentary. So I really, to be honest, I was looking for, like, well, what what was it? What, what are we seeing? And I think just thinking through it, talking through it, talking to a couple of buddies, I would say Jordan's competitiveness was, was dominant in his life. And Jordan, I think Jordan, if you look at his playing career, he wanted to win above everything else. Um, now my heart goes out to Jordan because it doesn't seem like he enjoyed it. Yes, he enjoyed the ending, the end goal of the championship, but in those processes and during those times, I don't know if he really got to experience it and have fun. So you look at those guys like LeBron and those guys. Could you say LeBron's having fun during his NBA season? Yes, and I'm and I'm not knocking Jordan. I just I guess my heart goes out to him because it just doesn't seem like during those some of those moments he really got to enjoy it um and i think in the first podcast i was when i called jordan a jerk but i think now now looking at it i think jordan wanted to do what he had to do to get the best out of his teammates and jordan's end goal was win at all costs like how malcolm x said by any means necessary and i think that's what jordan wanted to do did he do it the best way it's hard to argue because he got results so that's what i think that kind of jordan statement as of the first four episodes have shown me, like he wanted to win and compete and he was going to do what he had to do to get the best out of you. That may hurt your feelings. That may not. But I think Jordan said also in the, in one of the docuseries is, you know, I need to know that you're pretty much, you're tough. Cause if you ain't going to be tough in here, come battle. I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do, but that's my thing. So I think Jordan was competitive, but my heart goes out. I just don't know if he truly, enjoyed it besides the win the end goal of the championship okay um so Corey, we're gonna go to you with this question so with those quotes uh or the quotes about rise to mj's level of competitiveness does that help his teammates yeah i think so i think i think uh when you look at you know Teams that have a player that is as great as Michael, and there's not been many, um, when they set the standard, that makes for a great team. 
when the coach has to set the standard, it never achieves that standard. However, when a coach, a player sets that standard, they achieve it. Um, and I look back at what Michael was saying that he didn't get to enjoy it. Well, at that time, the NBA told him what his persona had to be. I don't think the public knew how much of a killer really that Michael was. They didn't understand that. And I think that's where Michael was going with the idea of the first, the public may not like me now after the fact, because I don't think people understood how competitive he is, was, and is going to be. And um, because they had to sell the, the shoes, the jerseys, the tickets, and he changed basketball. He's changed sports. We've talked about this before. And, uh, you know, as a teammate, setting that standard, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I have never seen something wrong with a player pushing the players around him to the point of break. Now, the strong will survive. There's no question at all. The strong will survive. That's part of life. Um, but I, I think the persona that Michael was worried about, I don't think today that we're saying, oh, my God, this is new news, unless if you really have never watched basketball. Because what he's saying is what every coach wants. They want their best player to push the rest of their teammates to their extent, to what they can't do, and through. Because the best are really good at being uncomfortable. Okay. Um, and the question was asked in that way because uh, th- those there are good players out there. They're great players out there. But a lot of players uh, don't necessarily want to be pushed further than what they, you know, they're pushed because they think that they're already working their hardest or working hard enough. Uh, Greg mentioned in the last episode that Coach uh, Roy Williams said, hey, I thought you said you wanted to be the greatest player that ever played here, not what you did in high school. So uh, when you look at the greatest players, I often ask myself, why does nobody want to play with Kobe Bryant? Why isn't everybody going over there? You know, and why does everybody want to play with LeBron James? And when you think about it, it comes down to that killer instinct, that killer mentality. And that's why that question came out there, because I think it could, I mean, yeah, it could be helpful, but it could be harmful. Horace Grant was quoted on a radio show uh, some years back where he said that Michael Jordan is a tough player to play with. He said he'll ride you to, to success, but he'll also ride you out of the league. Uh, so that's why I asked, you know, does that help your teammates? Okay. Um, so you got the breakfast club that was created. Obviously that breakfast club is down, uh, mornings in MJ's, uh, basement where he's working out in his weight room and going all out. And then they said, if you do well there, you get to get invited up for breakfast. So does Scottie Pippen and the Ron Harpers and the Horace Grants and the other players, do they have that same success, Greg, if they played 
in another team without Michael Jordan? So let me let me start by saying that you know I read something somewhere that Jordan would not lift weights in front of his teammates when he first started because he was not strong. He was weak. Mm. He did not want to show that <clears throat> to his teammates. So that's how he ended up working with uh, Grover because I'm not going to show you that I'm weak. I'm, I'm, I'm here on the basketball floor. I'm better than you. I'm going to. I'm going to demand things of you. You can't see me as being weak. And I sat and thought about that for a while. It had to be a bitch to live in his mind. Because most of the time, you were not reaching your potential. Um, So when it comes to the breakfast club, though, to your question, Brandon, I think that I think it was a it's a great thing. You need to be able to get whoever you can on board and say, Hey, you know, those four or five guys, whoever it was, we're sitting down, we've got this goal in mind, we're working towards it every single day. If I've got six guys with me and I have six guys somewhere else, those six guys are on an island. Mm. You're either going to get with me or you're not. And I go back to the question that you you threw out to everybody was, was it a great thing or was it a bad thing that they went out after losing to the Pistons in seven, which if you guys paid attention to Jordan's response to the migraine game, he was upset. And that was a... Who had the migraine? Point that out. Scotty Pippen. (laughs) And Scotty, and and that was a huge hit, I think, within the team, at least Michael Jordan. And in the city of Chicago, that you had this migraine and you couldn't perform in one of the biggest situations when we needed you. Um, anyway, I think because of all that, the Breakfast Club and getting together and doing those things, I think they had to do that. It had to be a catharsis for all those guys to clear everything that happened and say, hey, we went to the seventh game and we lost. Forget whatever reason why, but we are moving forward and we're starting today. And I, to your question, Brandon, I truly believe if they had not done that, I'm not so sure that they would have been in the championship or won the title that following year. Wow. Yeah, that uh, that's deep. Um, so you answered uh, two questions in one. So I still want to throw it out there, and that's to any one of you guys. Would Scottie Pippen, would Horace Grant, would any of these guys have the career that they had Will they still have that career if they did not play with Michael Jordan? Michael. No way. No way Scotty no has that same type of career. No way. No way. And I I just I think Jordan brought something out of those guys that they hadn't experienced before. Um and I think it speaks to 
So when you look at, and I always try to relate it back to players in current day age, if it's very rare, depending on the kid, if you're on a kid, if you're on a team and a bunch of your kids are going out partying and chasing everything else but the game of basketball, how many how many times is that one kid, is it easier for that one kid just to follow the crowd or to put that extra work ethic in? So when you talk about Jordan, Horace Grant and Pippen, Jordan instilled work ethic in him, and he didn't just talk about it, he showed it. He sh- when you look at Kobe or some of those guys, they showed work ethic. It's not just lip service. This is what I do. And, we, and so I think, I, I don't know their work ethic, but I just don't know if it, if it was at that level had they never met Jordan. I think that's what it comes down to. I think that's the, the essence of the question is if you look at what Jordan instilled in his teammates, I think he instilled competitive and a winning attitude that I just don't know if some of those guys had. Nice. And, and hopefully hopefully the, the younger generation is watching Michael Jordan's teammates and how they're answering these questions. Uh, Horace Grant put it best. He said, this is the greatest player ever in the game right now. And if he's working this hard in the weight room and before practice and then and during practice, this is just practice that he's going that hard. What do you think I got to do? So that's, that's a great point. Um, uh, Michael, that you bring up, that yeah, it's tough to say if they would have had that same type of career. Uh, Corey, we're gonna let you touch on it, and then we're gonna move to the next question. I look at it as a comparison of when Kobe came into the league. You know, so you look at the roles that Scotty and Horace and all these guys played. Look at the LA Clippers at the same exact time. You had Hugh Richardson, mm-hmm. Darius Miles, you had Corey Maggette, Elton Brand, this team that was supposed to become a a force, right? But they didn't have that great competitor next to them to say, this is what we're going to do. Yep. And you look at those guys' careers, I think a lot of these guys that weren't compared with a guy like Kobe, with a guy like Isaiah, with a guy like Larry, Magic, Michael, those those role guys would go by the wayside like those guys did for the Clippers. Ooh. You would have seen the same type of career path along the way. Now, is that a guarantee? No, I think Scottie Pippen is one of the top 25 players that we've ever seen play in the NBA. I don't think there's any question with that, with his skill level, his talent, all the things. I mean, he led the Bulls to 50-plus wins without Michael. But we would remember a lot of those guys that way. And... The Clippers had all of the talent, all of the pieces, but they didn't have that that alpha male, the king of the Lion Hill, that would take them to, you know what, instead of being in the club until 4 a.m., we're going to be in the gym until 12, then we'll go to the club, and then we're going home, and we're going to get up early and we're going to go again. Excellent, excellent. Um, so this last question, we have about 10 minutes for uh, 15 minutes tops but again it ties back into our bonus questions um, when you got Horace Grant and other Chicago Bulls players and other players around the NBA both active retired uh, even future NBA players have been weighing on this 
they still have ill feelings towards Isaiah Thomas, okay, and the Detroit Pistons. Uh, you know, that style of basketball and then walking off the court with 7.9 seconds left to go. Okay. A lot of, a lot of players been tweeting about it because everybody's watching the last dance. Um, you guys have any comments to that? Any further comments? And Isaiah Thomas I don't know. He kind of tried to justify it and, and kind of thinking that, you know, this was the right decision to make. Why? Because this is the way the league was. And basically Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics did this to me in previous. So he's still justifying it today, which is like, what, 30 years later uh, that it's OK to walk off. Now, I think we all can agree that Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics were wrong uh, to do that to Isaiah Thomas when those guys finally beat them and got over that hump. Uh, But what are the comments that you guys have to say as far as, you know, was the Pistons right about this because of the times? Or do they know right from wrong? Like, well, speak more to that because this has been a heavy topic on Twitter. Uh, I'm I'm trying to explain to people on Facebook yesterday and today, and I mean it's just been the, it's been the heaviest topic out there. Greg, what do you got? So, I don't agree with it, um, and. I had intense dislike for what happened because ultimately you compete whatever you know whatever happens that we don't know of as fans doesn't matter you compete you give everything you got and at the end of the day whether I like you or I don't like you I respect your effort I respect what you put out on the floor and hey, great game, great series. You won. Congratulations. I think. I think so much in our lives is based off of having that base respect. Uh, the one thing I'd like to throw out at you is Joe Dumars hung around. Chuck Daly hung around. As I said earlier, you know Lambeer and Isaiah got caught up in the bad boys type thing. And we, we got to be bad boys. We did this. We've won back to back, and we're bad boys, and we're going to continue that. We're going to go out as um, that group. But uh, it's not right. And I think if you could get Isaiah off camera and just say, hey, do you do you really believe that? I, I don't think that you would get the same response that you get on TV today. Um, Bill Lambeer, he's got that, – that guy's got nothing to lose. He was a two-bit player <laughs> in a group in, – in a really talented group. And, and, and that team kind of fell off because other than Rodman, and I don't even include Sally – 
Robin was the only real athletic guy they had. They had a lot of guys that weren't athletic, but they were very good. And, and they had a lot of time on those wheels. And it came up, and hey, we just don't have it anymore. But that's fine. Thomas and Lambeer, you went with it. That's good. But over the long haul in basketball, that's not the right thing to do. I'm not looking for my legacy as bad boys. I'm looking to say, hey, I competed. I gave you everything I had for the last five whatever years, and you beat me. Congratulations. I think if we don't have that in high school, college, NBA basketball, then we're missing some. Anybody else can add to that? Michael or Corey? Well, I, you know, I would say to me uh, that idea of sportsmanship, it, it, we don't have to like each other between the lines. You don't have to. When we line it up, I, we, we should want to beat each other. That's what it's about. But uh, at the end of the day, we're humans. And um, I think people have lost a little bit of that sense. Even when I see parents in the crowd and some of those type of things where you know, they're cussing out kids or coaches and a win or a loss. You know, a basketball game is important. Don't get me wrong. We work really hard to do what we do and care about what we do. But as a character person, I think it's really important to go, hey, we got beat. Sometimes our team is just better than you. Yep. Or sometimes they beat you. Or sometimes, you know what, we just didn't have the luck. And when we walk through the line, it is what it is. This is this is important. And showing that respect to each other after a fight. I mean, you had the gladiators, you know, back in ancient Rome fighting each other. And a guy is dying and they show their share of appreciation to each other. You know, and appreciating the dead. And even as a basketball player, obviously we're not to that extent, but we, when we walk off the floor, we're still humans and still enjoy. I mean, I think the biggest rivalries I've ever played against in my life are still people that I talk to to this day because we respect what we've seen and done throughout. And we respect what it took to beat each other. And winners respect winners. True. True. Michael. So just to piggyback off what the what the other two coaches have said, I think it becomes uh, just I'm gonna jump right into what Corey said and try to touch on what Coach Lee said. I think that to me it's so fun playing competing against those that you know. Why is it fun? Of course for bragging rights, right? Why else is it fun? It's because you know, I know. So, for instance, you know, going up, coaching against a rivalry school, you know, as we all have them, you know the equity, sweat equity, the long nights, and the practice plan and game plans that those coaches put in. You know that. You know that going into it, you know it. And, it, and to say, hey, I'm going to give it my all. You give it your all. At the end of the day, like Corey said, we're both winners. Uh, we're both competing. That's what Coach Brando would say. We're both competing at the highest level. 
we're trying to do what we can do as coach leach as i've learned you know i may not respect what you do in some aspects i may not but i respect the game of basketball i think it becomes a a gray area to what do you do when the person disrespected you but you still need to show respect to the game Hmm. um i think that's that's a that's a what coach leach is the first time on the podcast you can jump in no i want to ask brandon a question because brandon played at d1 level okay so you're in that in that situation where you have let's just say for a conference championship you have worked your ass off for three years but lost every year and every year you were a man and you shook hands and you say congratulations but the fourth year came and you had your group your team and you won and then it's not I mean I don't know if people remember but it's not as if the Pistons walked that way away from the Bulls they literally walked inches past the bull. So in that situation, Brandon, as that happens and you have finally overcome, you've respected when they beat you and you have finally reached the pinnacle and you won and they walk right by you. What's your response? Uh, <laughs> I think, to be honest, because I grew up, you know, idolizing Michael Jordan. I think I would have handled it the same way him and the Bulls did. Number one, I, you know, you're shocked and you're surprised, and you may be anticipating that they're going to come over and say something as they're they're leaving out. Uh, but then they didn't. You know, I, I think I would have just let it be that. Um, so I was extremely competitive, as I always say in every every segment. Uh, but I can remember in college. Uh, it's so funny because Aaron Turner is from Kenosha and he ended up going to the same junior college that I went to and played baseball. Every Friday we do our individual workouts, team workouts, whatever. And then we would run like a mile and a half, which was around the campus. And we're going up the hill and it was always two other players, me a guy from Omaha and this guy from out east. These guys all jump on Aaron Turner's. Uh, <laughs> these guys jump on Aaron Turner's truck and he gives them a ride up the hill. Okay. He gave them a ride up the hill. So I tell me, me and the other two fellas, I said, let's go. Let's turn it up. We sprint out ahead of them. And, of course, we have to pass these guys up. Get back to the spot where the 1.5 miles are is. And we're back at, at our, our practice gym and we're sitting there. And it was like, you want to go in? And uh, I said, no, let's sit here and wait. They're going to have to see us when they do get here. So I, it was nothing about talking or saying, dude, we still beat y'all or anything like that. It was just like kind of how the Bulls played it. Hey, you still got to see us. In the end, 
there's nothing to say. You already know what what happened. So I think if I in college and that happened to me, I think I would play it the same way those guys played it. Let 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 it be that their time is over. So it's done. It's a wrap. Hopefully, I would have played it that way. All right, fellas. Uh, I do want to leave you guys with some some closing comments. Uh, and those closing comments have to do with Dennis Rodman. Uh, episodes three and four was really a lot about Dennis Rodman. And we didn't get to talk about him. Um, however, we do want to bring him into our next segment next week. What do you guys think? Think about the Bulls bringing in Dennis Rodman and trying to go after another. I'm not even going to say they're going after another three-peat, but to accomplish another three-peat. What do you guys think about picking him up and then seeing the way he behaved? (laughs) Any thoughts on that? Mike, go ahead. So I read a quote. I was thinking about Dennis Rodman. I think immediately coach Lee's correct me if I'm wrong watching this documentary in the first 10 minutes I said man I got a new respect for Dennis the worm I got a new respect for him but I saw a quote today or they're sharing a story MJ said you know they were going through layup line right typical nothing nothing great nothing you know players shoot jump shots say and MJ said yo Dennis you need to get in here and get some layups too and they said no I'm studying the rotations of the ball when he shoots it, it's three, it rotates three times and it comes off to the left. When you shoot it, it's two and a half to three, but it comes off to the right. I'm studying this so I know in a game situation how many times a ball rotates and where I need to get, where I need to position myself. I was thinking, like, I've heard, I've seen a lot of basketball, I've watched a lot of different things, but I've never heard somebody say they studied the art of rebounding. I was taught. When you shoot it on the right side, you get to the left, because that's where it's typically going to bounce off of. But that's not the case for every shot. I mean, it was just so – and MJ said it in a quote I read that Dennis Rodman took rebounding IQ to something that's off the charts and nobody has ever seen before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty deep. <laughs> uh, Corey, you got anything? You know, Dennis Rodman – for all the, the craziness, you look at the teams he's been on and what he's done. You talk about a winner. <laughs> he did all the winning plays. You watch a game. He's diving on the floor. He's getting a tough rebound. He's, you line him up against the greatest rebounders of all time, pound for pound, size for size. It's Dennis Rodman. There, there's nobody that's won that many rebounding championships in a row in the modern era at that size. And, and he's what Draymond Green wishes he could be. Um, you know, Dennis could guard every position. He guarded everybody. He guarded everybody from Magic to Shaq to he, – he would take every guy out of the game. That's what he did. And um, to me, adding Dennis Rodman was an upgrade from Horace Grant. Boom, upgrade. And I think – adding him to that puzzle made them the greatest team of all time. Even with a lot of bit pieces, Tony Kukoc was a big part of that too, Ron Harper. But adding Dennis Rodman to the equation, you have three first-team All-NBA 
defenders mm. with MJ, Scotty, and him. There's never, ever been a team in NBA history that's ever had that. And there will never be another NBA team in history that has that. Um, it, it just it, it made them unbeatable at the toughest time of the toughest game. Great. Okay. Um, so, Corey hit on everything. Perfect. And I was thinking earlier today, you lose Horace Grant, who I think was overpaid. He happened to get his new contract as the uh, TV NBA TV money became prevalent. Um, but there is nobody, in my opinion, that the Bulls could have picked up at that position that would have allowed them to win three more championships. I just, I, if somebody could throw somebody, if somebody on this podcast can throw a name out to me, and tell me how the Bulls could get that person without taking away from what they currently had. And I know he was a, he, I, I mean, I know he had some run-ins at uh, with the Spurs. And I, I'm not sure if he was a free agent at that time or if he got traded. But there is nobody out there that would have allowed the Bulls to go three more in a row if it wasn't for Robin. That's key. Uh, and Robin said it himself. <laughs> there's no three. Uh, there's no three P without him. Um, I think it does say a lot about also uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Can you imagine having a teammate like Dennis Rodman? I'm sorry. It says a lot about Dennis Rodman of what Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen thought about Dennis Rodman. Anytime you get two of the best players on the planet and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen to get on a plane, go out to Vegas, know where this dude is in what hotel, and to go to his room and knock on his door uh, and, to, and to get him out of the bed and say, hey, Dennis, come on, man, we, we got to go. Let's, let's get on this flight and uh, we, we, got, we got practice. And then from the show up to practice, in pajamas and flip-flops as if like we don't even got practice like you playing on one of the greatest teams ever and you just strolling in but again again to Dennis Rodman's credit he didn't look like he missed not one beat he was still far ahead of everybody in that in the whole Indian drill that they were running and I mean what an incredible athlete Dennis Robin was uh, go ahead can we tell stories just based on what we saw sure I I did not laugh the greatest laugh I had in watching those two hours on Sunday was when Robin came back from Vegas. And Jordan had told everybody, hey, slow down. Robin's been gone for a while because uh, Jackson had him running. <laughs> the whistle blew. The guy at the end had to pass everybody. Yep. And so, hey, understand where he's been. We're going we're gonna to play the game. And then when the whistle blew finally and Robin had to come from the back to the front, 
was sprinting as hard as he could. <laughs> and everybody's looking around like, what the hell? I mean, that's the kind of athlete that guy was. He spent, I don't know how many hours, how many days in Vegas, and he came back the very next day, and he was beating everybody that had been practicing for how long? Right. With that running style. With that running style, by the way. That running style he had. <laughs> the elbows out. Thumbs up. <laughs> He ran, he ran like Coach Morris. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, man, what a cra- what a crazy athlete and, and an excellent teammate. And I think, uh, go ahead, Coach Corey. The other part I think about that, Coach Leach, when you talk about that, is how much Coach Jackson played into how great they were because he was somehow able to rein him in with Scotty and Jordan and involve his best players and make them feel empowered enough to pull a guy like Dennis Rodman in that's dating Madonna, dating Carmen Electra, doing all this crazy stuff at the pro level. When you talk about the pro level, you're not dealing players are very good. You don't have to teach the skill. Now it's more so managing the ego. And Phil Jackson was able to somehow rein all these personalities in, which great coaches do. And I've, I've, they had the greatness, the great ability to be able to see that. Um, and if you can do that, man, it, it creates something special. And Phil Jackson, to me, that makes him one of the greatest of all time because he was able to pull those type of personalities in. How do you rein Dennis Rodman in? Hey, go to Vegas for 48 hours. Come back. We'll see you in a little bit. He doesn't come back in 40 hours. Hey, Michael, my best player of all time, why don't you just go – Catch him. <laughs> go, go knock on his door. Bring him back. You know where he's at. Go get him. Come back, and we'll figure this out. How do you, how do you write that script? I don't think you can. As a coach, how many coaches? I mean, we get high school coaches that are saying, "Well, oh, this kid was ten minutes late to practice." Well, you know, maybe you know Phil Jackson's idea was, "Well, maybe practice was scheduled at the wrong time." I don't know, I don't know what it was. Let me put this to Brandon. No, let me put this to Brandon since he hasn't been talking too much. But Brandon, can you imagine somebody comes to you in that situation in a season, very important. You know, you're looking to make, you've got goals. And a guy comes to you middle of the season and says, Coach, I need a vacation. <laughs> and, and, and you laugh now because you, you're, you're thinking Rodman and NBA, but high school coaches see that all the time. Right. Somebody comes in and says, hey, my parents are, we're, we're going on vacation, we're going to Florida, I'm going to miss this game and that game. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. But think about how, as Corey said, how, how somebody like a, a Chuck Daly or a Phil Jackson handled that. Mm. To where it wasn't an issue, but for you, Brandon, I mean, how do you how do you deal with something like that in the midst of team goals, mid season? We're moving forward. We're progressing. This is what we want, and you're telling me you need a vacation of four days with your parents. Yeah, um, I think. For a coach to, if 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 I, I mean, I'm the coach and you're asking me this, I think it comes down to, um, 
I guess ultimately believing in your players and making uh, the rest of those players that haven't been getting playing time or whoever the next man up is to kind of prove it, prove their worth. And, and then eventually uh, hold that man, whoever it is that went on vacation, I don't care how good he is, hold him to the fire a little bit uh, and see how well he produces when he comes back. Uh, I, I actually had a situation like that. One of my starters uh, had to miss a couple games uh, for like vacation. And, you know, we held him to the fire. And when he came back, he didn't get a starting spot back. He wasn't getting the minutes he were getting. Uh, and surprisingly, because he's such a great kid uh, and he got great parents, he really bust his ass and continued to prove his worth and, and just continue to go all out and continue to challenge every one of the players that was playing in front of him. Uh, but that's really tough, man. That's tough to, to put your coach or put me in that situation. And we get we get it all the time. And there's nothing that you can dispute about. It's not like I can take your paycheck. Um, the most I can do is is – is you know take your playing time it actually it happens every year yep and i asked it because i see it every year yep uh back when you were with me i remember telling a a certain kid hey i'm with it you're you're chasing a a dream with soccer i'm with you um but give me the right to say that when you've overstepped then i got to be able to reel you back in and if that means not starting or whatever the case may be, hey, I'm supportive. Honest to God. And really, I was. So I'm supportive. Go do what you got to do. Yep. If it's vacation with family uh, because of certain things, or if I'm going with my family here because I'm, I'm doing another sport, I'm with you. Yep. There, there, there comes a point where I lose credibility with the kids I'm coaching if I – just let it ride. Yep, exactly. And so I just, I, I mean, I wanted to hear what, what your thoughts were. Um, because honestly, you and I see that every year. And, 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 and go back to my time, which was the mid-80s, and to your time. Um, that stuff didn't happen. No. God, I mean, no. If, there was, if there was time off, as Rodman wanted, uh, it wasn't done basketball season. I mean, we practiced on Thanksgiving and Christmas. We didn't care. Right. <laughs> uh, Corey. Well, and, you know, and I, you know, I was being a little facetious with, you know, hey, Phil Jackson's adjusting to Dennis Rodman. But at the end of the day, as a player, you want to be accountable. You want to understand when practice is supposed to be, show up, do the right thing. The NBA is a whole nother animal. Yeah. And you're getting paid a lot of money. There's a lot of things that go into that. There's a lot of egos. Um, and like Coach Lee said, you know, you, you have, there's a certain standard that has to still be maintained, especially as a winning program at the high school level, college level. You know, our guys, if you're if you're not 15 minutes early, you're 15 minutes late, right? Yep. I mean, yep. we're on Lombardi time. Yep. We had a meeting the other day on Zoom. And we had two guys not show up on time on the Zoom meeting. Like, hey, y'all, y'all got to get here. Like, yeah. this is not, this is not how we're doing this. 
and that accountability is really important. I think it's really great that I think it's it showed why the Bulls were champions because Jordan set the accountability standard and Phil Jackson had enough mind at the NBA level to allow Jordan to set that standard. Yep. And when he did that, that made them better than anybody could ever imagine. Excellent. So we're in our last minute of this segment. Uh, can you guys close us out with some type of words of inspiration or just close us out on how the show went for you tonight? Michael, we're going to let you open it up. Um, so I would speak to the kid that feels overlooked, um, not valued. The Dennis Rodman, one of the things that we didn't bring up, Dennis, they said that Dennis Rodman sometimes got bored because he didn't feel valued. He didn't feel appreciated. I mean, it's very easy to get caught up in what I can go, I can go here and go there and do that. Um, but understand your worth in the situation that you're in, but understand that. You have to, I, I guess I would say, understand that, that your work ethic and the time that you put in, there's always a reward. Success always comes from your work ethic and your determination and overcoming obstacles. So make sure that you're not leaving for a path easier taken than just to overstepping obstacles. Because I don't care where you go in life, whatever path you choose, there's going to be an obstacle. And it's always easier to turn away and say, you know what, forget it. Um, but make sure that that you're doing what you're doing for the greater good. Mm. Um, so that would be my, my, my takeaway for any, any anybody listening to this, um, whether it's elementary age or myself as 30 plus. I said 30 plus, so I, so I seem older. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Leach, what you got for us? Hey, so I would just say if we're if we're taking it to the high school level and those kids and you truly want success, you have got to buy in. Um, there is I've always said that a college coach like Corey could come and watch my team play offensively and defensively and say, I know what they're trying to achieve. And let's just go offensively. If I'm trying to achieve something offensively, I hope that a coach like Corey can sit in a gym and say, I know what they're trying to do. It may not work, but I see what they're trying to do. Um, But in order for all that to work, I need a high school kid that's going to say, hey, I'm going to buy in and I don't want to get too far because I could get, I could stretch it into a a lot of different conversations. But if I buy into a certain level of play and a certain idea of how we're going to do it. And I say, coach, I'm behind you. I'm going to do whatever I can. Um, You're going to reach the coach knows what what he's doing. You're going to reach success and you've got to trust that that success that you reach is going to make a difference for you in terms of where you go to play at the next level. Ooh, okay. 
Coach Corey, close us out with the takeaway. Coach G, I love that. Um, you know, we talk about all these things we can learn, and basketball is just a little fraction of who we are. And it's, it, it, it teaches you, that little fraction teaches you so much about what we can be. And when you look at the love, the respect, the leadership, the all these qualities that we talk about that we want kids to be about and what we want to be about. I mean, as coaches, we're always learning. We're always you know, wanting to pass that torch. And um, that buy-in comes from truly being about what is right and what we want to do on our path. When you look at Michael Jordan's path, when we talk about today, Michael Jordan, his competitive edge came from his family. His competitive edge came, came from his brothers, his mom, his dad. And what he wanted to con, you know, contribute to society grew as he grew as a person. And we never stopped growing. So my thing to high school kids, to college kids, to anybody that ever listens to this, if anybody listens to this, is that we really want you to take one thing. And the one thing is be a great citizen. Be the best of you you can be. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a basketball person, baseball person, football person, or maybe you're a band person. I don't know. Um, but be as good as you can be at whatever you're going to be and love what you're going to be because when you don't enjoy that path it can really get ugly and so just really really respect what you do excellent thanks for those closers fellas hey this was another another great podcast just talking about the last dance talking about basketball giving off uh, these tips uh, to high school and college players and beyond. Um, so once again, I appreciate you fellas. Uh, sorry that we couldn't have Coach Young on, on, the, on the show tonight. He, he's working. He's a hardworking gentleman. Uh, but I think you guys picked up the slack for him. It was excellent. It was fun. I mean, we started the show off with some bangers right away. Michael, you got one last word there? Not a last word, just feedback for us. Um, if there's anybody listening, please send Brandon questions, thoughts. If there's anything you're thinking, let us know. We would love to, to answer those questions. Um, we would love to just hear feedback as how we can be an essential business, no pun intended, to our listeners. Um, as this, as what Brandon said, the best 90 minutes of somebody's day. So that was my only thing. I just wanted to let you know if there's any questions that you have anything please find a way to contact brandon um as he is the the leader of this and we just all just so grateful to be on this these this podcast with you all right we're gonna leave on that note you guys can reach out to us uh at you can be mo at yahoo send in your questions let's 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 make these coaches work a little bit Thank you, all of you guys, for listening. Coaches, thank you guys for contributing. This was fun, like always. Uh, let, let's keep this show going. We'll see you guys next Wednesday night. Well, holla. You can be Mo Podcast. Let's go.